Amen. Good morning, Conduit. I want to share a, a few announcements with you as, uh, as we get started this morning, okay? Um, so, first is that this, this Sunday today, after, um, after we're done with worship, we're going downstairs for Ask the Pastor, or those who signed up, or those who want to, do Ask the Pastor. We've been talking about that for a few weeks. If, you're, if you don't remember or are unsure... Um, Ask the Pastor is just an opportunity for any of you to basically ask me um, any question that you want. Um, we've, had some, we've had some doozies asked in the years. Um, any question that you want um, and uh, in kind of like a town hall style meeting uh, and we have lunch that's served for those of you who uh, RSVP'd. Uh, for lunch. So that is happening tomorrow, uh, today. That is. Um, that's happening today. Okay? Um, so, uh, also, um, announcement that the, yes, our worship team on July 31st, which is on Saturday is one of the featured bands at the Awake um, Worship Festival at Camp Finley um, at Finley Lake. There's more direct information about, um, about that on our Facebook page, if you would like. Um, second or third, can I have someone, either from the leadership team or a other Conduit Kids volunteer, go down and um, relieve Eric Clark of his um, Conduit Kids, thank you Pete, duty, and send him up here so that we can pray for him and Rachel as well. Where is Rachel? There she is over there. Um, Rachel as well, um, members that are coming on the leadership team or have just come on the leadership team, okay? Um, and so when he gets back up here, we'll do that. Uh, last announcement today is you know that we've all been anticipating and praying for and expecting um, the uh, kind of the, the whole process of finding and hiring uh, our new associate pastor and waiting for him to start on August 1st, which is a week from today, will be his official, his official start date. Um, and that's a good thing. You know, you are allowed to clap, right? Um, but Pastor Luke is actually here this morning already. Okay, he is here with some of his family. And so while he's, uh, he has not officially started, he has not officially started yet, um, you're, you're free to um, introduce yourself and uh, come up and meet him after service. And uh, we'll give him a little bit of space this week. And then next week, man, like the gloves are off. <laughs> the gloves are off so yeah <laughs> we are so grateful that you're here and have been praying for you um, and uh, just are so excited so excited for the next the next season okay so last week we um, we prayed over some new members of the leadership team and um, and in a classic Cameron Linehart moment 
I forgot some. Um, so we're going to uh, we're going to pray over them this morning. So we'll have Eric Clark come up, and we'll have uh, Rachel Flint come up. Uh, any member of the leadership team, you guys can come up as well, uh, or really just anyone who would like to pray over them with me. Uh, you can come up, um, and we're going to lay our hands on them. Let's come right up here in the center. So, uh, as we talked, as I talked to you last week a little bit about this, um, you know, we, our desire is always to bring honor, always to bring honor to our leaders, to work overtime to bring honor to our leaders, um, understanding the sacred calling that they have and the responsibility that they hold. Uh, to lead with humility and gentleness. And of course, we expect that they would lead in perfection as well. Um, you know, we say that tongue-in-cheek because oftentimes we have an understanding that, well, when we, when we commission someone as a leader, when we hold them up as a leader, that we expect that, hey, they are like, like incarnate Jesus themselves, right? And we forget that we are each in our own, um, like, we are each in our own relationship and journey with Jesus, right? And the Lord should be continuing to sanctify us and to um, work on us and change us. And that not being perfect, um, uh, or, or, yeah, not being perfect is not a disqualifier for leadership. It's not a disqualifier for ministry. It's not a disqualifier for God using you in significant ways. And I think every leader... Um, who has either been on the leadership team, past, present, will be on future. Every staff will tell you that. Hey, look, I don't have it all together, right? I, I personally don't have it all together, right? But we, we lead in gentleness and humility, um, trusting that God will use what he's given to us uh, to bless and serve his kingdom. So we're going to pray over Rachel and Eric, and then next week we'll do this with Pastor Luke as well. So. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, for both Rachel and Eric who stand here with us this morning in front, of your, in front of your church, Lord, in front of their community. Lord, who have committed their time, their significant time, their gifts, their wisdom. Lord, who have committed their prayer to being, um, to being a part of leadership here at Conduit. Lord, and they are not perfect, but you are. And we know, Lord, that both Eric and Rachel follow you, desire to be obedient to you, are consistently seeking wisdom from your spirit and the discernment necessary to lead your church. And so, Lord, we pray for a um, we, we pray for wisdom and discernment in abundance in their lives. We pray for grace over their families, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would protect them from the emotional, mental, spiritual, physical attacks of the enemy. Lord, that you would establish their lives firmly in your word that you would fill them with your spirit, Lord, and that everything um, that they do would be motivated by a desire to see 
the glory of God revealed, and the love of Jesus proclaimed. Lord, we pray for perseverance, endurance, courage, strength, gentleness, and humility. In their lives, in abundance, Lord, we commission them for the work that you have given them to seek your heart for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, over the past few weeks, we've been, um, we've been in a little series here in, uh, in Scripture, a little mini-series in Scripture, and uh, so we're going we're gonna to continue, continue that this morning, and I'm going to give you a few, um, we'll, we'll review, we'll do a little bit review of the, the four main points from the last few weeks. We began this. Right? We began this by asking the question, well, um, maybe a, a real common question is, I want to I wanna hear God more. I want to know when God is speaking to me. I want it to be like, like bullhorn volume level so that there is absolutely no doubt that when, that when the Lord is speaking in my life, I know that it's Him and that I, I know that He's giving me direction and I know that He's giving me wisdom. Right? And we, we, we constantly want the loud voice of God, right? We want Him to break through all of the white noise and distraction of our lives so that we can hear Him and then respond or act accordingly or in obedience to what He's telling us. But the reality is, is that God, God does not always speak in a voice that booms through the distraction of our lives. In fact, oftentimes what God is asking us to do is instead of expecting or praying for the loud voice, but uh, on, on the flip side, to, to rather um, quiet the distractions so that the gentle whisper of his voice becomes more clear. Uh, and so from that week, we, um, this was our main point. When we actively embrace a loud and distracted life, it becomes difficult to hear God. When we actively embrace things that distract us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically, and then on the flip side, ask, why can't I hear God? Well, my, my mind, right, my emotions, my spirit, my body are constantly assaulted with the white noise of life. Maybe we see that in social media, or we pack our schedules, our calendars, so full of activities and things that we haven't, we don't have a second to spare to slow down and listen to the whisper of the Lord. Because the reality is, and here's our second point, is that when we don't hear God, it's not because God is not speaking. It's because we're not hearing. God is always speaking to us through his word. Always. Right? Well, pastor, I don't hear the Lord speaking to me. I can't hear his voice. I don't know what he wants from my life. I am... I am not sure about X, Y, Z, A, B, C. I don't know. Oh, uh, immediate question, right? 
in, in somewhat more of a pastoral stance that I'm having right now, is like, well, how much are you reading His Word? I hear you say you don't hear from God. Right? Tell, me about, tell me about the discipline of Scripture reading for you. Tell me about your time spent in His Word. Well, I, I don't. I'm too busy. Or I don't know how. Or um, no one has ever taught me. All, some, some legitimate there uh, questions. And so we, we, um, uh, we dealt with that, I think, last week and the week before. Uh, so God is always speaking to us through His Word is number two. Number three, main point from the last few weeks. The more familiar we are with God's Word, the easier it is to recognize the lies of the enemy. We saw this from the life and example of Jesus, right? Particularly in Matthew chapter 4, when he was tempted by Satan, the, uh, when he was tempted by Satan in, in various ways, right? And Jesus would respond in the midst of Satan's temptation by like accessing and quoting and proclaiming the truth of God's word into the situation, right? Well, the enemy caught on real quick, right? It only happened once, and so then the enemy used, actually used scripture against Jesus himself. Like, okay, I can play the scripture game too, right? And Jesus immediately himself responded again with scripture. And what is the, implicitly we see there that Jesus had such a keen awareness of the actual truth of God's word that it was not difficult at all for him to point out the counterfeit truth that the enemy was trying to plant in his life as a lie. Right? And we more easily believe the lies of the enemy when we have not saturated our lives with the truth of God's word. Because if we have no truth to compare against the lie, it's very easy for us to accept a counterfeit reality. And so it is vitally important that we be absolutely drenching our lives in God's word so that every time the enemy tries to plant a, a seed in the soil of our lives, it is washed away by the truth of God's word. There's no place for it to take root. Fourth and final, uh, from, this was from last week, a difficult one. Um, we got this from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, that if we desire Scripture to teach us and to train us, we must also be willing to allow Scripture to rebuke us and correct us. Because often, like we come to Scripture, right, and we desire the content. Give us the, give us the three points in a poem, right, that are going to help move my walk with Jesus one more step forward, right? And does Scripture provide the spiritual, theological content for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus? Absolutely. 100%, right? Two of the ways in which Paul encouraged Timothy to use the Scripture was to be taught by it, right? And to be trained in it. Right? But right there sandwiched in the middle of those two things was a very important response for us. A response that requires us to allow the Word of God, the Scripture, to, to rebuke us and to correct us. To convict us of sin, right? And then to return us. The word correct means to, be, to return to an upright state. To, re, to um, convict us of sin through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? 
and then to return us to right direction or right living so that we then may be trained in righteousness. And so we must allow the Word of God the same permission to break us as we allow it to form us. Because without the breaking, there can be no forming. Right? We, must be, we must be broken in our sin, broken in our flesh, so that the Word of God and the Spirit of God may then reform us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And we can't have one without the other. Or, if you're asking the Word of God to do one without the other, you're going to constantly live in an environment where you feel like the Word of God is powerless to address your actual life. Right? The Word of God is not applicable for me. It doesn't work. I don't see, it's not, it's not doing anything in my life. Likely because we are accepting its teaching and training components without allowing it to address the areas of our lives where we need rebuked, convicted, and corrected. And we must receive both. Critical importance. Okay? When we come to the Word of God, when we come to Scripture, we often come to it, um, understandably, we often come to it with a, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, a certain set of preconceived notions or a bias that we approach the Word of God with. If, uh, if you allow me the, the, like, the metaphor, it's like we all, we all look at the Word of God through a window. It's maybe the lens that we, wor- that we look at it from, or look at it through. And if the window that you look through it is anything like the windows in my house with five kids, right? It can get a little blurry sometimes, right? And so we must understand, we must, we, must, we must understand that we very rarely do we look at the Word of God and completely receive it as it is. We must, it, it, it becomes filtered for us. And I want to tell you that that's not universally a bad thing, but we must be aware of that, okay? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, because here's a question that both in theological circles, but also as a, as a pastor, I've been asked, you know, by lots of different people. It's usually when they... You know, when, when someone is first getting to know me, first getting to know the church, or whatever, and they want to know my view on Scripture, right? And so they'll ask a question like, well, do you, uh, do you take Scripture at face value, or do you interpret it? And, um, and I, I think the, the implicit nature of the question here is, is do you take it seriously? Do you take the Word of God seriously? But there's an important point there that I think it's a, that, that we need to, like, I want to brush away the dust, I want to brush away the dirt, and I want to talk about what lies between, underneath the surface of that question. Do you take Scripture at face value, or do you, do you in, interpret it? Because here's, here's my contention, is that that's really the wrong question. It's not... Do you take it at face value or do you interpret it? Because everyone interprets it. Everyone interprets it. Everyone takes scripture and interprets it um, or uses interpretive lenses in order to communicate the truth of it. 
including Jesus. Okay? Jesus did not even use Scripture at a face value, 100% um, literally. Okay? We know this, for example, because Jesus often, in fact, his main method of teaching all throughout the Gospels was these things that we call parables. He would use a, um, a, for lack of a better term, made-up story to communicate a deeper spiritual reality about the heart of God, the nature of God, the kingdom of God, about he himself, right? So for instance, probably one of the most famous stories in Scripture is the, we could call it the story, but it really is the parable of the prodigal son, right? One son went this way, one son stayed, okay? I'm like, wow, I wonder what, I, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna, I want to really meet those two sons, you know? You're going to be walking around looking for them for a long time, right? Because Jesus was very clear, right? That, that, and, and it was over and over and over again that Jesus spoke in, in, in parables, made up stories in order to communicate a point, right? That, hey, the love of the Father sustains both those who walk away for periods and those who stay, Right? That's the main underlying spiritual point that Jesus tries to get across in the parable of the prodigal son, right? Or you look at things like, you look at the, the nature of the Psalms or the Proverbs in the middle of your Bible, and you see that there is this, this incredibly poetic, fluid type of language that comes across, and you're like, well, <laughs> um, I don't know if that's scientifically true. Does the sun actually stand still? Well, yes, it does, right? But, but the point here is that, um, is that even the writers of Scripture, Jesus himself, right, never intended anyone to look at Scripture and take it at 100% face value, do not, no interpretation whatsoever, you just take the words and you eat them. Okay? Some more examples. For instance, like, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Alright, so, if we're taking, if we are taking the scripture at face value, no interpretive lens whatsoever. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You ever look at someone or something that you shouldn't have? Alright, so taking Scripture at face value would indicate that that eye better come out. Okay? And don't do it again because you only have one more eye. Right? Now, when Jesus spoke here in the Sermon on the Mount about that, was Jesus advocating that we literally or actually gouge or pluck out your eyes if you have a problem with looking or if your eye causes you to sin. Well, no, we don't believe so. Right? What, what we believe, and I think Scripture holds this to be true, is that, is that we look at that through the interpretive lens 
of Jesus saying, like, hey, look, sometimes we must take radical steps in our lives to escape the life of sin. We must make radical decisions. We must take radical courses of action. We must end relationships. We must move across the country. We must change jobs. We must completely rearrange the circumstances of our lives, right? So that we can pursue greater levels of holiness as far as it depends upon us. There are other examples here in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 5, for instance, verse 21. Do we take Scripture at face value or do we interpret it? Well, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And anyone who calls his brother a fool is answerable to the Sanhedrin. There is this aspect of Jesus' ministry. Let's, actually, let's give another example before we move on. Matthew chapter 6, verse 43. No, that's not there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? What's the point? Well, the whole point, like, the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount here is that Jesus will take a um, well-known part of Hebrew Scripture. That's why he says, you have heard that it was said long ago, do not murder. You have heard that it was said long ago, do not commit adultery. You have heard that it was said um, that you must uh, love your neighbor. Right? So he's taking these well-known passages of Scripture that had been functional in Hebrew life and Israel in, in, the, in, the, in the whole of the Israelite people, and he's saying, if you just read those at face value, you're actually missing the deeper spiritual point. And that's the whole basis of the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, you've heard that it was said long ago, uh, do not murder. Well, yeah, hello. And so... People walking around will be like, hey, you know, bro, um, I'm all good because I don't struggle with murder. I just never really struggled with murdering people in my life. Not really a thing I need to repent of. But then Jesus comes on the scene, he's been looking like, hey, okay, I understand that you're taking that scripture at face value, Right? and applying it to your life and having a difficult time understanding why there's still a gap in your righteousness living, right? Because Jesus says that's not actually the point. The, the deeper point of even that message of do not murder is about, hey, like, have you ever even been angry at someone else? Do you have a willingness to pursue reconciliation and forgiveness and letting bitterness fall out of your life 
and then embracing healthy relationships with others by not, by, by not even allowing there to be anger. And so Jesus even reworks the whole idea that taking Scripture simply at face value and not seeing it through an interpretive lens is actually what we're supposed to do. We're actually supposed to see it through an interpretive lens. And I'll kind of let the cat out of the bag for later in the sermon, but the, the interpretive lens that we, are to, that we are to see all of Scripture through is the lens of God's love. It's love. Um, so Jesus was constantly trying to communicate this fact, this reality to those around him. Okay, um, and in fact, um, the Jesus' harshest, his absolute harshest criticism was for was for for the people who were next to like ab, who were next to perfect in their face value following of the scripture, but who completely missed the mark on the actual, like, um, the spirit of the scripture. See, in, uh, and we're going to see two examples here, okay? So, in scripture, who was Jesus constantly at odds with? Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Some would say the high priests or the teachers of the law. You maybe could lump them all together, right? Well, Pharisees, Sadducees walked around, high priests walked around, essentially proclaiming a um, perfection of following the letter of the law. All right? Everything to perfection. Okay? And when, when Jesus came along and was like, well, yeah, great job on following the letter, but you don't actually understand it's not about the letter, it's about the spirit of the law. Okay? Uh, so here are a few examples. Matthew chapter 12 is where we're going to start. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Hey, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them, Haven't you read what David did when he, is, he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. He and his companions ate of the consecrated bread, which was, lawful, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that the one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Hey, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? 
How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Here's this guy not following the rules. Taking his kind of old, his own spin or his own understanding on the Sabbath. Not, not, not following it to the letter of the law. He's letting his disciples eat grain, grains, uh, heads of grain. He's healing people on the Sabbath. Who does this guy think he is? Another example, Matthew chapter 23. So I had just a few verses. Matthew chapter 23. If you ever want to, someone ever tells you that Jesus only ever said nice things to everyone, uh, point them to Matthew chapter 23, um, where, where Jesus just really lets um, really lets the Jewish leaders absolutely have it. Over and over and over and over again. Like I said, his harshest criticism was for the people who were next to perfect in their face value following of Scripture. And he says this in one of the sections of Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What was, what was Jesus saying here? There was this, like, see all the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law they were so intent on following the letter of the law about tithing that they would actually go to their spice cabinet, right? And like pinch out a um, little bit of mint, a little bit of dill, a little bit of cumin. Got to make sure, right, that I get it all right. Got to make sure that I stay right with God by following the letter of the law to a T. And Jesus was like, you guys, listen, you've completely missed the point. You, you're straining out a gnat by, by trying to tithe your spices. And in the meantime, you're swallowing a camel because you're ignoring things like mercy and justice and righteousness in other people's lives. And worse off yet, he says this later in Matthew 20, 23, you're leading other people to do the same exact thing. Now, if Jesus was all about and only about the face value of Scripture, he'd have been like, way to go on the tithing. You didn't forget your spices. Right? But there was something much more deep and significant for Jesus than the face value, right? It was the spirit that ran underneath everything 
that they were do that the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing in the process of following to perfection the law. See, in both of these instances here in the Gospel of Matthew um, and more throughout Scripture, Jesus showed them and Jesus shows us that there is a marked difference between following the letter of the law and understanding and following the spirit of the law. See, the question really is not do we take the scripture at face value or do we interpret it? Because the question was resoundingly answered by Jesus in his ministry. It was resoundingly answered. The question in reality is what lens do you use to interpret scripture? How do you look at it? What is like the main, what is your main orienting principle or like the glasses that you are wearing when you are reading it? How do you approach it? Here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest that um, without like understanding that this is not like a comprehensive understanding of it, but like I think there are two main ways that, uh, or one main way that we have that we have read scripture or the lens that we have looked at scripture through um, that has really um, changed our relationship with it. Okay? Uh, and then we're going to talk about the, the lens that I believe that, that Jesus exemplifies and God desires us to read it through. Okay? So, two, um, we... Two kind of interpretive lenses, all right? The first is this. Uh, what we're just going to call uh, the works lens. How do I read Scripture? Well, I read Scripture through a lens called works. And the Apostle Paul talks about works a lot. He talks about it in terms of, like, the desire of humanity, of human beings, right, to work really hard, to earn God's favor, so that he will bless us and we can live in eternity with him, right? It's the, the, the age-old adage that I just have to be good, moral, ethical, better. i got to do more good things than I do bad things. And if I do more good things, God will be more pleased with me than he is mad at me. So I just have to make sure... That all of my conduct, all of my thoughts, all of my words, everything that I do is perfect. Both from an outside perspective, but also like that it, that it um, supports this need and desire that I have to be perfect. To be all put together. See, works, a works lens indicates that we, that we believe that our favor with God or our position with God, is all based on my effort. Man, I just got to work harder. I got to read the Bible more. I must pray longer. I must be nicer. Right? I must do the right things, and I must avoid the wrong things. If I, if I know the rules, and I follow the rules, and if I do all of the right things, and if I show that I am the best Christian possible, 
then what that will produce in my life is one, favor with God. Right? I'll be the best Christian possible. That will make God happy with me. And that happiness from God will turn into blessing from God, right? He's happy, so he blesses me. And that blessing automatically indicates that I have now been saved. Because I am just continually doing good things. God's not going to let any, any bad thing happen to a person who's always doing good things, right? And so we, we live in this cycle of seeking a standard of perfection in conduct, perfection in thought, perfection in words, perfection in relationship, right? And listen, this extends to our relationship with the Word, okay? I didn't read my Bible yesterday. I am sure that God is mad and disappointed at me. I didn't read my Bible two days in a row. Now, not only is he mad at me, but he's making bad things happen in my life because of it. I didn't read my Bible all last week. I didn't read my Bible all last week. And I don't know if I can ever read my Bible again now because I am so ashamed of my poor Christian behavior. Been there? Right? Listen, God never uses condemnation or shame to move you to a position of righteousness. Right? God does not use shame or condemnation as a lever to get you to do the right things. Because doing the right things is all about what the Pharisees and Sadducees were about. They did the right things perfectly. They tithed their frigging spices, for crying out loud. Okay? They did the right things perfectly, and guess what? They still missed the point. They still missed the point, because the lens by which God desired them to approach relationship with him, to approach his word, was not a, hey, follow it to the letter of the law, so then you will be in in a position of favor and blessing for me or with me. It's actually the opposite. We have this other lens, this lens that we call grace. The lens of God's grace. How do I read the scripture? Do I read read or approach scripture through the lens of works? Man, like, man, I really got to read because if I don't read, God's going to be angry and then I'm going to feel ashamed and then I'm going to, it just becomes this vicious shame spiral and circle of not being a good Christian. And if I'm not a good Christian, then bad things happen, right? And God's like, no, 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 you don't, you don't, you don't get it, okay? It's, it's, it's not about checking the boxes, right? It's about experiencing, it's about experiencing the Spirit of God, the grace of God, and the love of God through the Word of God as He has given it to us. 
When we, when we come to the Word of God, we come not to a place where like, okay, whew, I'm going to get this done today so I can check the boxes, right? So I can get through it. And if I don't, I got I to gotta get through it, right? And we get the, the content and the teaching, right? We get the content. And then we walk away and we wonder why we're super theologically smart like the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, but we're no closer to a life with Jesus. We're not walking any closer in holiness, in mercy, in love, in gentleness, in grace to one another. Our hearts are continued. They're, they're more and more hard. They're more and more bitter. We're more and more angry. Because, yeah, the spiritual con- or the theological content has been downloaded, but we've seen it only as something where we're checking the box and not something where the actual Spirit of God is working upon us so that we experience the life of God through his word and he's changing the hardness of our hearts to gentleness towards others. He's changing a works-based righteousness that we have to a righteousness that doesn't, that doesn't depend upon you at all but is given to you as a gift of God through Jesus Christ. So the grace lens that we approach Scripture with has nothing to do with my effort, your effort at all. It has everything to do with God's effort. God has done the work. And so when we approach Scripture, we approach it, right, as an opportunity to experience God's self-revelation. Revealing His heart for you. Revealing His heart for the world. Revealing His heart, His love, His grace. God reveals Himself. Not information about Him. Right? But His actual personhood. The life of His Spirit. Revealed in the Word. Pushing us with a purpose to know Him. To be moved towards greater and continual acts of love that points us to Jesus in this grace-based lens through which we read Scripture produces in us the actual things that God desires. It produces a a development of um, relationship. Other things that it produces is it, it produces a vacuum of condemnation and shame. Right? When, we, when, we start to, when we start to approach Scripture and the very life of God through the grace that God offers to us, we immediately see it's like God poked a hole in the bottom of our grace bin or in the bottom of our condemnation bin and it all just kind of rushes out. And we begin to receive and experience true love. Love that we may be experienced for the very first time. Listen, all of this is wrapped up, this whole like grace lens is wrapped up in one point that we made, I think, last week or the week before, about, yeah, it was last week, because we talked about how, how Timothy, right, when Paul, when Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy ch- chapter 3, hey, look, 
you have known, essentially, you have known salvation from infancy through the scriptures that have been taught to you by your mother and your grandmother. You've known salvation for, for your whole life. Okay? But Timothy didn't have the Gospels, right? He didn't have the New Testament. What he had was the Old Testament. He had the Hebrew Scriptures, right? We're like, well, man, how does that even work? Like, how does he know about the grace offered to him from God if all he had was the Old Testament, right? It's because very obviously his mom and his grandma, those who were discipling him into the faith, read and saw the scriptures not through the work, not through the works lens, but through the grace lens. And when you read scripture through the grace lens, you realize that every scripture, every page, every word, every sentence, every punctuation mark, absolutely all of it points to and testifies to Jesus Christ. The incarnation of God's love the incarnation of God's grace. I'm going to say this. Well, let's read John chapter 5 first, and then we'll close with this. One remark. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. This. Jesus says this in, in yet another like correction to um, the religious leaders of the day. He says this. He says, look, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Um, okay, like, right? And, and maybe, maybe, that is a, maybe that's a correction or a pointing out um, that Jesus does in, in your life, too. You study the scriptures and you study them diligently because you believe that by possessing them, you have eternal life. Guilty at times? For sure. Okay? Guilty. These are the scriptures, Jesus says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus flat out says, right? He says, look, if your study of Scripture does not lead you to me, there's no point. Diligently, you diligently study the Scriptures and you think by diligently studying them you're going to possess eternal life. Like, hey, look, all of those things that you study, they testify about me. They testify about me. So, guess what? You come to me. Come to me. You're not going to get it through like just the rigorous study of the facts, right? You get it by coming to me. And we come to Jesus when we come to the scripture and say, Lord, reveal the heart of Jesus the love of the incarnate God, incarnate grace in Jesus Christ, testify that to me. Let me, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. If I learn, great. But let me hear you, Lord. Scripture leads us 
to Jesus. And if it doesn't, if your, if your discipline of reading Scripture, if your, if your life of Scripture leads you only to feeling like you need to try harder to be better, rather than leading you to the heart of Jesus, who is the incarnate like grace and love of God, then we need a new lens. We need a reset. We need a reboot. We need a, hold on a second. Okay, God. I need your help to see past the words on the page that I feel like I must study to figure out the spiritual formula that will make me the best Christian. Instead, Lord, reveal the heart and spirit of Jesus to me. Let me experience and know not you as a bunch of facts, but you as you actually and truly are. Incarnate grace and love. And let me see the love and grace of Jesus in every word and in every page and in everything that I read, Lord. I am desperate to know you apart from my, like, working towards your favor. Help me, Lord. A great reset. And maybe that is a prayer that you need to pray every single time you approach the word to ensure that your heart is ready and prepared. And maybe you need to pray it several times a day. But I'm telling you that the way that we approach Scripture, the lens through which we read it, drastically changes what God does in us through it. And it re He releases us from the pressure, from the feeling, from the thought of having to get it all right so that God's not mad. That, that is a lie that the enemy is trying to plant. You better get it all right. Because if you don't, God's going to be mad. Mm -mm. As the worship team comes back up, let's, um, let's just kind of center our hearts one more time in prayer. Heavenly and gracious Father, we hear you speaking to us through your word. And Lord, we are praying, we are praying, Father, that you would rewrite, <laughs> rewrite the owner's manual that we're like approaching the word with. That man, we must, we must read it all memorize it all, get it all into our heart, because then we'll have all the content that we need to be perfect. To do everything right, to avoid the wrong, to know the rules, to follow the rules. Lord, break us free from a heart that says we need to work our way into your favor. And set us free. Set us free into a life that receives the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, not because we worked hard and earned it, but because in your goodness you give it to us freely. Lord, reveal 
the life and heart of Jesus in every word that we read that points us to a new understanding of your desire for our lives, Lord, that produces righteousness, that brings about an experience of love, of grace, of truth that we've never experienced before. In Jesus' name, amen.